We are going to be in the book of Esther, if you want to turn there. The book of Esther is in the Old Testament. It comes after the book of Nehemiah, before the book of Job, if you're flipping through there. As I mentioned, I, I was preparing for this week, and, and really the idea of calling that God has given us a great calling and has strengthened us for that calling in our lives is really where I think God led me. And so as I was trying to prepare that and, and really figure out what what did he want me to share in that, um, I just kept coming back to the story of Esther. I, I love the story of Esther. I love God's sovereignty that's found in the story of Esther. And so this morning, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to tell a story that most of us probably in this room already know, um, the story of Esther. The, the book of Esther is, a, is an interesting book, if many of you may already know all these things, but the book of Esther is the one book in the entire Bible that does not ever say God. It's not in there, anywhere. His name is never listed in the entire book. In fact, as, as they put together the Bible and as they got the, the canon together and as they tried to decide what books were, were inspired by God and were part of the, what we know now as the Bible and what books should not be part of the Bible, this is one of the books that every time they come to it, they say, well, is, should this really be, be in the canon? Because God is never mentioned. And yet, the entire book is all about God's invisible fingerprint all over the entire book. In fact, that is, I think, the point and purpose of the book, is to help us to see the one who's never mentioned. God is never mentioned. There's another reason, though, that they don't like, some early historians didn't like to have the book of Esther in the canon, and that's this. The book of Esther has a couple of stars, Mordecai and Esther, who live um, with the king or in the kingdom of Persia. And they live there following the times that, that Isaiah and Jeremiah have called for them to leave. If you remember your church history, the Israelites were in Israel. They, they were conquered by the Babylonians. The Babylonians then marched them out of Israel and, and took them back to their own, to their own area and their own cities. And then the Persians took over the Babylonians. And then the Persians ruled during this time. And during that time, um, they, were, they were able to go back to the promised land. They were able to go back to Israel. The people could leave and go back. And, and so you, you read the, the story in the historical books there of, of build, rebuilding the city, rebuilding the walls, and, and people returning home. That was what they were called to do. And that's what God had called them through the prophets to go back. And yet the book of Esther celebrates the ones that didn't heed that call. They didn't return back to the promised land. They didn't return back to Israel. They stayed where they were relatively comfortable. And the book of Esther celebrates those Jewish Israelites. And so some say, here we have a book that never mentions God, and we have a book that that honors those that that didn't fully answer the call and yet, we still include it in the canon. This morning, we're going to tell. I'm just going to tell the story of Esther a little bit and make a couple of points for you. I think that apply for all of us. 
Many of you know the story of Esther. I'm not going to be telling you anything new as we talk about it. But sometimes it's good for us to review, I think, the story. The book of Esther opens up with the king, Xerxes, or Asherus. And the king has a party. And his wife also has a party. The queen, Vashti, has a party as well. And so they begin to celebrate for several days. And at one point, the king decides that he wants the queen to come over and meet his friends. And so he calls for her to come, and she basically says, no, I'm not going to come. You're not going to parade me in front of your friends. And so she just rebels against the king. Well, the king can't have that, obviously, if he wants to show his might and show his power and show his strength. And so uh, he has her dethroned. He says, I'm going to find a new queen. And so he decides, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a beauty pageant, basically, is what he does. And he says, let's get, let's get all of these ladies, these virgins together, and we'll put them all together, and, and, and we'll decide which one should then take the place of the new queen. And so they gather together, a group of ladies, and for one year they prepare them to be chosen, or to, to put them in a group so that one of them could be selected then to be the queen. One of the girls that's chosen in this contest is a girl by the name of Esther. Um, Esther is a Jew and lives there in Persia. She's been raised. Her her parents are, are gone. They passed away, we assume. And she has been raised by her cousin, a man by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai and Esther are really the heroes of this story. Well, the true hero is God. But the heroes in the book are Mordecai and Esther. And Esther gets chosen and put into this group to be selected as the possible new queen. And Mordecai has trained her and helped her to understand the law, has helped her to understand the Jewish customs, has helped her to understand the history of all that has gone on to this point, has helped her to understand who she is and what that means. And so they're in this contest and and. Esther is a beautiful woman, and she gets selected to be the queen. The king is very fond of her, and the king likes her, and so he selects her to be the queen. During that time, Mordecai has a job out by the city gates. And he's out there one day, and, and there's a couple of guys that, that are visiting a couple of the servants of the king, high, high servants of the king who have access directly to the king. And Mordecai is listening to them. They're visiting together. And they have a plot that they're going to enact to assassinate the king. Mordecai hears that story at the city gate. And he goes and he tells Esther. And he says, you need to go and to tell the king that there's these two men that are going to to, uh, try to assassinate the king. And so she does. She goes to the king and she says, here's the name of these two men. And they do a little research on them. And sure enough, they they do have a plot. To assassinate the king. And so uh, those two men are disposed of. And Mordecai is celebrated. And is written down into the king's chronicles. um, About what he had done. And what he had accomplished. And how he had saved the king. And it's listed there. And it's celebrated inside the book of what's happening in the kingdom. And Mordecai is listed there as a hero. 
During the same time, there's another man. This is the evil villain of the story. His name is Haman. Haman does not like Jews. In fact, he hates Jews. And he hates the Jewish people. And Haman is rising up through the ranks of the kingdom. The king loves Haman. He is his right-hand man. And as we get into the story, Haman is celebrated more and more and more. And he really is right next to the king. In fact, in fact, the king hands him his, his ring with, with his seal on it. He gives him the power of the kingdom he gives to this man named Haman. Haman hates the Jews. Mordecai, as you know, is a Jew. And so, as Haman wanders through the, the kingdom and wanders through the city, people would, would bow to him because he was so powerful. He was the king's right-hand man. They would show him honor. And Mordecai, when they would come by, Haman would come by Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow down to Haman. Mordecai would rebel against that. And Haman, that would great on him. Not only was, was Haman proud of what he had accomplished and who he was and wanted those to bow down to him, but even more, it was a Jew and it was the group that he, that he hated. And so Mordecai became the person that Haman could, could focus that hatred towards. And so Haman decides, I, I, I have all of the king's power. I have his ear. I can do anything that I want. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to convince the king that what we want to do in our kingdom is to wipe out all Jewish people, Mordecai included, but we want to wipe out everyone. And so he comes to the king and, and Haman, the evil villain of our story, tells the king, this is what we should do. Let's make out a, a, a let's make out a, a, an announcement. We're going to send it all over the countryside. And so on a, on, on a certain day, in a certain month, on that day, we're going to destroy all of the Jews. All of them will be wiped out. Everything will be great. The king says, okay, whatever you want to do, you can do. Here's my ring. Mark, mark this announcement with all the power of the kingdom. And let everyone know that that is what I decree. That is what I declare. And Haman sends out the announcement all through the countryside. He says, we're going to destroy the Jews. And it goes out. Mordecai learns of the plan. And Mordecai comes then to Esther. And he says, have you seen this? Do you know the plan? Here's what's going to happen. Haman has gotten the king's ear. The king has decided that he's going to wipe out all of the Jews because this is Haman's plan. And he says to Esther through, through the, a guard, he's not talking directly to her, he's speaking to one of her servants who then takes the message to Esther. And he says, you need to go and speak to the king. You need to appeal for your people. You need to go to him and, and tell him that he needs to change his mind, that he needs to change his edict. He needs to change his decree. So the servant goes to Esther. And Esther says, does Mordecai not understand that I cannot just walk in and speak to the king? No one can walk into the throne room and speak to the king unless they are called, unless they have been called to come and to see the king. No one can, can just walk in. And in fact, if they do just walk in, they will be put to death. 
And so she says to her servant, go and tell Mordecai that I just can't do it. That I, that I don't want any part in that. And so that's where we pick up. This is where I want you to turn is in Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 4. So Mordecai hears Esther's response. Doesn't he know I can't do it? I'll be killed if I enter into the throne room. And then we pick up in chapter 4, verse 12. And so the servants told Mordecai what Esther had said. And in verse 13, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and, held on, and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. Mordecai hears the response of Esther. She says, I can't go into the throne room. If I do, I will be killed. And he comes back to her, and this is the linchpin. This is, this is the whole story of Esther right here, I think, comes together in chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai says, God is going to save his people. God is going to save his people. Well, I'm not sure how, but I know this. God will save his people. If you don't do it, somebody else will, he says. And then he says, but who knows? Who knows that maybe you have been brought into this kingdom. You have been brought into this palace for such a time as this. I love that. Maybe you've been brought here. Maybe all of this has happened. Maybe you, maybe you became the queen. Maybe you were selected in this beauty pageant. Maybe, maybe all of these things happened. Maybe you were born beautiful for such a time as this. For such a time as this. As I mentioned, this is the linchpin of this whole book. And it is the theme, I think, for us this morning. The entire book of Esther really comes down to two main points. It's this, God is sovereign. In fact, as we tell the rest of the story here in just a moment, you will see the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. There is nothing outside of his control. There is not one molecule in all of the earth, in all of the universe, in all of history, outside of God's control. There is absolutely nothing that can thwart his control. God is sovereign over all things, over all times, over all peoples, forever and ever and ever. There is no chance. There is no luck. There is no coincidence. There is only Providence. Only God's sovereign rule and reign. 
God is sovereign. But the second point that we find in Esther is that God calls people to have courage. I think sometimes we see providence as a, as a cop-out for us to have responsibility. The book of Esther shows us God is sovereign. He orchestrates everything together. He has all the pieces moving where he wants them to be, and he has everything pointed in one way. And yet, God calls his people to be responsible, to have courage, to step out in faith. Mordecai says, who knows? Maybe God has put you in the palace for this time. Maybe God has orchestrated everything together and all the pieces, all the chess pieces are in the right place so that you can do this right at this very moment. Maybe God is sovereign in all those things. Maybe he has chosen you. And then Esther's response is critical. She cannot just sit back and say, well, maybe he has chosen me. Maybe he will call me and ask me my opinion on this decree. No, God calls us to have courage. He calls us to step out in faith. He calls us to take responsibility for where we are and for what we're doing. He calls us to be people of courage. Esther responds then to Mordecai and says, All right, we're going to have a fast together. My, my girls and I will do it, and you will do it. Get everyone together. We're going to, pra- we're going to, to fast. We're going to pray, and we're going to go before the king. And if I die, she says, I die. If I die, I die. And so Esther does. She goes before the king, and she steps into the throne room, and she knows that as she steps into the throne room, unless he raises his scepter to her, she will be taken out and she will be killed. And so she steps in boldly with courage. And the king immediately raises his scepter and accepts her in. And he says, Esther, what would you like? Why are you here? What can I do for you? And she says, if I have favor with you, I would like to see you again tomorrow. And I'd like to visit with you. And so they do. They get together the next day. And she says, he says, what can I do for you? And he's waiting for her request. And she says, she says, I do have a request. But what I want to do is I want to have a banquet. I want to have a feast for you. I want you to come. And I want to, I want to lay out this spread before you. I think what she's saying is I want to butter you up for the question that I have for you. And so the king does. During this time, though, while this is happening, um, Esther is, is preparing to ask the king and, and is putting all those things together. But while that time, Haman, the evil villain of our story, is beginning to just get more and more agitated and Mordecai, um, is is just the burr under his saddle, and he just cannot handle Mordecai and, and the fact that Mordecai does not respect him, does not respect Haman the way that Haman believes he should be respected. And so Mordecai just gets more and more agitated and decides that instead of waiting until this final day when we're going to take care of all the Jews, I'm going to get rid of Mordecai now. And so his wife gives him some counsel there, and they decide they're going to build a gallows right outside their house so that they can hang Mordecai on these gallows. And so they begin that process and they, they get these gallows and they begin to get them put together and built and, and Haman is ready to take Mordecai and to finish him off and to get rid of him 
and not worry about him any longer. While Haman is doing that, is while he's putting together those gallows outside of his home, the king one night is sleepless. He just can't fall asleep. And so he says, what, what, what can I do to, to get sleepy, I guess? And so he calls one of his servants and he says, bring in the large book of all that I have accomplished and all that has happened in my kingdom. And let's celebrate together some of the things that have happened in my kingdom. And so he calls a servant in and says, read from my book, my chronicles of the things that have happened while I have been king. And so they read through the chronicles and they come to a story of the man named Mordecai who listened to a plot and heard a plot of two men that were going to assassinate the king and and Mordecai was the one that, that found that out and got the word to the king so that the king was not assassinated. And the king hears that story and remembers the instance and said, whatever did we do for Mordecai? How did we celebrate what he did for me? And the servant says, we haven't done anything. We haven't celebrated that at all. We've written it here in the Chronicles, but he has not been celebrated throughout the kingdom. And so at that moment, Haman, the evil villain of our story, walks into the king's room. And the king at that moment is trying to decide, how can we celebrate, how can we celebrate this great man Mordecai? And so the king says to Haman, as Haman walks into the room, what can we do to celebrate the man that the king loves so much. What can we do for a great man in my kingdom? How can we celebrate him throughout the kingdom? And Haman, ever his prideful self, knows right away that the king must be talking about him. And so Haman begins to give his list. This is what, this is what I want you to do for me, is the list that he's giving to the king. He says, what we need to do is we need to get one of the best horses in all of the kingdom, and we need to put this man on the horse. We need to dress this man in beautiful robes. We need to, to have one of the king's highest men lead that man around throughout the kingdom, trumpeting his great worth, trumpeting how he saved the king and how he saved the kingdom. And Haman, I'm sure at that point, is just thinking, oh, this is going to be so nice. And if you know the story of Esther, you know, the king's immediate response is, that is a perfect plan, Haman. Here's what I want you to do. The man's name is Mordecai. I want you to get all of those things that you've talked about, and I want you to put the robes on him and get the horse for him, and I want you to lead him around the whole countryside telling how great he is. This is the book of Esther. God is sovereign in all things. He orchestrates everything together. He has everything going the way that he wants it to go for his plans and his purposes to ring out. And so Haman does. He doesn't want to, to uh, disagree with the king. And so even though this goes against everything, everything that is inside of him. In fact, he came to the king that day to make sure it was okay for him to hang Mordecai on the gallows he was building outside of his house. And instead got the job of trumpeting Mordecai's great worth to the kingdom as they wandered through on horseback. Haman does this. And when he's done, he is all the more worked up. He is all the more angry. You can see that picture. He, he just let his, his enemy around trumpeting his worth and Haman is angry. And Haman is ready to take care of Mordecai. Well, Haman is invited with the king to go to Esther's feast. Remember I said that Esther was, was putting together a, a banquet. She was buttering up the king to give him her request. 
Haman is invited to go along with the king. And so Esther has this banquet and, and during the banquet then says, says, here is my request. She finally is ready to, to reveal to the king what she wants. And she says, there is this plan. Haman has put together a plan to kill all of the Jewish people. And I am a Jew. And he is going to kill, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill my family, he's going to kill all of my descendants, or all of the people that are part of, part of my, my family. He's going to wipe them all out. And the king gets angry. And he leaves the room, and he, he's, he's trying to decide what to do, and, and he leaves the room, and he begins to, to try to process this whole idea together. And while that's happening, Haman is there, and Haman knows the tables have now turned. He is no longer going to be the king's right-hand man, and he's trying to scramble a little bit. He's trying to figure out exactly what, what his next move is and how he can save his hide. And so he's pleading with Esther. He's pleading with her for his life. He's pleading that she will, she will at least talk to the king so that he can be saved. And he's pleading with her, and she is laying on the couch, and he's, he's begging her to help save his life. And he begins to just trip and stumble and falls onto her laying on the couch while he's pleading for his life. And at that exact moment, the king walks in. The angry king walks in and says, you have this unbelievable plan to kill all of the Jews and to kill this my, my queen's family. And now, in fact, you're trying to take my queen. You're trying to take my wife right here, right now, and is unbelievably angry. And as you know the story, and maybe you're even reading ahead this morning, you see that Haman then is taken to the gallows that he had built just outside his home to hang Mordecai on, and Haman is hung there on those same gallows that were built and designed for Mordecai. God is sovereign over all things. Nothing is outside of his control. Everything works together. There is no luck. There is no chance. There is no coincidence. God orchestrates every move together. As you read through the book of Esther, as you hear the story even this morning, at least for me, I I can see this whole, this is a movie to me. I can see this whole story going down. This is, this is Hollywood material here. And in fact, you come to, to chapter 10, and Esther, why don't you turn there to the very last chapter? There's just three verses here. They put together a feast. It talks about before this and, and give the reason for that. And then in chapter 10, it says, King Esther's imposed tax on the land and the coastlands and the sea and all the acts of his power and his might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. And they are not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Asherus and he was great among Jews and popular with the multitudes of his brother for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all people. This is the end of the movie. This is this may be even this just the the screen has gone black And the words come up and they say, and everyone lived happily ever after. Mordecai was the king's right-hand man. Everyone loved him. The Jews prospered. The world went on. It was a happy, sweet ending. And for a while, as I was thinking about what to share this morning, that's where I was going to end as well. 
And I was going to challenge you wherever you are, whatever position you are in life, God is orchestrating all these things together. And, and in the end, it's going to be a happy ending. We just want to trust God. And this would be a great place to end. Except for Hebrews chapter 11. Why don't you turn there? Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith chapter in the Bible. It's the place where all the great deeds of the men of God and the women of God are celebrated in Hebrews chapter 11. All the great things that were accomplished by faith is celebrated in chapter 11. And as you get to chapter 11, as you begin to read at the end of the chapter, we're going to start in verse 35. Verse 35, it says, Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then it says this, starting here. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins and sheep of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of all the earth. And all of these... Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It would be easy. It would be easy to end a story talking about the providence of God, God's sovereignty, that God acts and works on our behalf, that he orchestrates everything together for his good purpose, and his good purpose is always good for us. And it would be easy to end the story today saying, everything works out great. The hero gets the welcome into the king's palace. He gets all of the treasure. And the ending is sweet. But I think all of us know today that it doesn't always end that way. It doesn't always end that way. And in Hebrews, when they talk about the faith of all of those that came before, that trusted and rested in God, it didn't always end well. Some were tortured. Some were persecuted. Some were cut in half. So this morning, I want you to leave knowing that God is sovereign over all things, that He is in charge of all things, and He works everything, everything, all of the pieces He puts together for His good, for His purpose. I have no doubt about that. And His good is always our good. I have no doubt about that. But sometimes, it's not the perfect story in the end. Sometimes it doesn't always feel perfect right here. Sometimes it doesn't always have the happy ending on earth. The happy ending comes... The healing comes. The celebration comes. It just doesn't always happen here. So wherever you are today, wherever you've been placed, wherever God is leading you, wherever God has put you, even as as we talk about this list of, of where you are in schools, whether you're a board member or a teacher or 
or faculty or staff, or whatever you are, I think it's okay to say, maybe, probably, absolutely, God has called you for such a time as this. As we talked about with Jeremiah, before you were even born, God called you to the place that you are right now. You didn't just happen to come there. You didn't just happen to end up there. God orchestrated all those pieces together for such a time as this. That we need to be people of courage. That we want to long for the rosy ending. We want to hope for that. But we want to have the knowledge that it may not come. It may not come here. Some of us may be tortured. Some of us may be sawn in two. Some of us may become the king's right-hand man. And most of us will fall somewhere in the middle of that. And yet God still orchestrates all of those things together for his good, which is our good. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we have celebrated together this morning your sovereignty. Your absolute perfect control over all things, everything. And God, we want to rejoice in that today. And there are a lot of times in our life, God, where we, where, where we begin to question that, I'm sure. Is God really seeing this? Does God really understand this? And so, God, we pray that you will help us to rest in your sovereignty. To know that there is no chance, there is no luck, there is no coincidence, there is only providence. God's leading us. That, God, you will help us to be people of courage God, you will not allow us to miss our responsibility, but that you will strengthen us for that. You will help us for the task that you have called us. And God, we pray that you will not, you will not allow us to only look and long for the rosy ending. You've promised a perfect ending, God. You have promised us heaven. You have promised us glory. You have promised us perfection. And that will come. But God, don't, don't, allow us, don't allow us to only look for that here. God, help us to be people of courage that you have called. Help us to be people of calling that you have healed, God. Help us to be people who celebrate in your sovereignty. Help us to be people who long for the day when everything will be right. All the pieces will have come together and your worth will be trumpeted to all peoples of all nations of all times. Let us long for that day. We pray this this morning in the name of Jesus, whose death on the cross, whose life made this possible for us. Let us see and celebrate him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you this morning for coming.